It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Psyched for you guys to be joining us here on the College Football Survivor Show. We're bringing you lots of info this week. We're running through the major spring games that have happened so far. We're going to try to do this each of the next three weeks. Check in what we learned from some of the major teams around college football. So on this podcast, we will talk about Michigan later. We'll talk about Clemson later. And we will talk about Cincinnati later. But Shahan, you and I are joined by a special guest right now. It's Travis Brown from the Bryan College Station Eagle. And Travis, the reason you are here is because we are addicted to Texas A&M. Shahan, we talk about Texas A&M on this podcast all the time, do we not? Too much, too much (laughs) for for a show that talks about the playoff, I think. Oh my God, there is some Texas fire bubbling up on this podcast already. So Travis, we're talking Texas A&M because the Aggies just had their spring game uh, on Saturday. What was the vibe? What was the vibe this entire spring? I mean, I think the vibe has been pretty high since National Signing Day when everyone can hang their hat on a National Signing Day recruiting national championship um, for, for, for whatever that is is worth because Jimbo Fisher was able to haul in, at least according to 247 Sports, the, 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 the highest ranked recruiting class of all time. Um, with just five stars galore, defensive linemen everywhere, more tight ends than I than anyone would ever know what to do with. Uh, and so I think that the, the 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 mood is pretty high, the vibe is pretty high. Um, to see what those guys can do, and and spring games, like we're all reporters here. Let's be real. Let's be honest. Spring games are awful. They're boring. They're terrible. No one other than fans really really like them. But it makes it a slight tick better when there's a quarterback battle. And they have a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty stout quarterback battle happening at Texas A&M. So, of course, that made things a, a, a lot more interesting. So, again, we will now talk for the next 25 minutes about this horrible, boring <laughs> spring game that Travis just got everybody excited about. I'm kidding. We're, we really want to talk about what you learned in the spring, right? It's not just about the game. It's about what we learn through the 15 practices of these teams. Shahan, I, I am curious. You and I have this discussion on this show a lot about – five stars about instant impact recruits about what that can do to a program for both of you guys all right texas a&m just killed it with this recruiting class is that going to affect this year's team do you think shahan and then travis will come to you after the gap but like how much how much does that translate into this fall 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely curious about that, right? Because I think that you look at the positions of need, and I do think there are some guys who are poised to maybe have a chance to contribute there. Uh, I think Evan Stewart certainly was somebody when he came to campus as a top 10 national recruit at wide receiver. I, I mean, that's somebody that you hoped could maybe contribute. Uh, and they, ha- I mean, A&M has not had good receiver play basically the entire Jimbo Fisher era. And they ask a lot of their receivers, but, you know, I, I think that Evan Stewart is just such a talent, and we've gotten to see that a little bit in the spring, that maybe he can be kind of a difference maker uh, for this team. And, you know, I'm curious about somebody like Denver Harris, too, at cornerback. You know, I mean, I think that uh, a couple years ago we saw Jalen Jones come in and really play a big role. And I think that that Denver Harris, in a lot of ways, is already more prepared at cornerback to maybe come in and contribute. So it's going to depend a little on the positions and, and where they have need. But, you know, I, I think certainly there are guys on this recruiting class who are going to come in and play big roles right away. Is that the expectation, Travis? Like, do the coaches think that might happen? Yeah, I, I certainly think so. And if, especially if you look at this, this is the thing that always fascinates me the most uh, about um, the spring game. It's not as much how the people do because you you don't know who's injured, who hasn't been in spring, what what this is there, but who plays where. Like who is on the the ones team? Who's on the twos team? Uh, and you have guys like. Um, Anthony Lucas, who is a defensive uh, tackle who stepped up and had a really big game uh, and seeing some of those situations. Evan Stewart is the guy that I think everyone is, is um, has their eyes pointed on. Like, like Sheehan said, because they um, for the entire time that Jimbo Fisher has been at Texas A&M. And even you might go back to the year before, if I'm not mistaken, A&M has had an entire wide receivers room of possession receivers. And, and to varying degrees of success, they haven't really had a home run threat. They haven't really had a guy who is a, as a, uh, vertical in the sense of jumping a, a high point specialist, uh, since maybe, uh, Josh Reynolds, um, might have been the last guy that, that, that kind of could fit that role, at least in that, that, that high point specialist kind of situation. So I, I, I want to see if Evan Stewart is going to be that next guy who can actually spread the defense out a little bit. Jimbo Fisher made a point after, uh, the spring game to talk about they want to, um, expand their playbook, expand their ability to have some of those um, home runs, some of those explosive plays through the passing game. Because in the last four years, if you want to talk explosive plays in the AM offense, it's been strictly the running game for the most part. So um, you have Anaya Smith back. He's going to be that kind of slot receiver, possession receiver that might come out of the backfield um, as, as well. So uh, Evan Smith, I think, is going to be one of the keys to see if they can kind of unlock that passing game, unlock that explosive passing game. Shahan, I feel like we should ring a bell on this podcast when we question the Texas A&M receivers. You've kind of been on that before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's so interesting, right? Because they've recruited super well. That hasn't been the issue. I mean, Damon Demas, who obviously isn't with the team anymore, was a five-star kid who never really played. Uh, Moose Muhammad is somebody who was a high four-star level kid. So, like, they've had the talent on this roster before, and you kind of wonder. I mean, they, they bring in two five-star receivers in this class, of course, Evan Stewart and Early and Rowley. You kind of wonder almost, like, is it a system issue? Is it a talent issue? I mean, because you see across the rest of the state, I mean, certainly, you know, in the state of Texas, I mean, TCU, Quentin Johnston, right? They, they find guys who can, who can challenge down the field. Like this is one of the easiest states to find explosive receivers of all things. And so it's been almost like 
sincerely a shock that that uh, Texas A&M hasn't been able to find that. Do you feel like that has been a talent issue or do you think it's a scheme issue or do you think it's a little of both? Um, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I, I mean, I think Jimbo Fisher runs a, a very complicated system. That was some of the critique that some people started to lump their way when it kind of shifted to the Zach Calzada, the short-lived Zach Calzada era in that is this too complicated? Is that do they need to dumb things down a little bit? Is Jimbo Fisher's system too pro style uh, for a bunch of college kids, especially a bunch of young college kids? I, I think you could necessarily put that argument towards the wide receiver core as well if you wanted to. Um, but I also think that um, they're, they're I, 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 I I'm going to go out on a limb and just say if you're a wide receiver in Texas with what the um, MO of the Big 12 has been and what the MO of Texas A&M's offense has been for, for, for heaven's sake, they use a tight end. I mean, who, who uses one of those anymore nowadays? So that, that eliminates a wide receiver off the field anyway. Why wouldn't you want to go to a, a more pass happy league, a more, a league where you're going to get more balls thrown your way? Um, I know there, there has been some shifting trends and the SEC has shifted that, that way a little bit more. But yeah, I just think that uh, to me, I, I think kind of going back to that everyone's a possession receiver thing, I, I think that there has been some situations where there's been a, a few square pegs and some round holes uh, of trying to um, put together a more traditional route tree in that you have a lot of guys who could do the same thing and a, and, a, and not a whole lot of guys who could stand out and, and spread defensive out, who could attract double teams, uh, who could – um, make defensive decisions difficult. Um, so I, I would lean a little bit more back on that than the talent. I think the talent is there. I think uh, a lot of those guys have been good receivers. They, they've had to do with a lot of injuries too. Um, wide receiver. I mean, Caleb Chapman, who of course just entered the transfer portal, was a guy who was looking like he was going to be that guy who could spread the defense out, um, who, who could provide a little bit of a vertical attack in that way with those two touchdown catches he had against Florida two years ago. But of course, he tore his ACL then. He couldn't really get on the field last year because of injuries. And now he's in the transfer portal, which might lean back a little bit more on how good Evan Stewart has been uh, in, in the spring. This is the thing that stood out to me. The last time that I didn't really know something about a player in spring practice that was generating some buzz was, was uh, uh, Jay Sternberger, uh, what was it, two, three years ago, the, the tight end for A&M. Uh, we saw him in practice. We saw how hard then uh, tight ends coached uh, 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 Brewster was, was on him yelling. And we thought, man, is this guy going to be a bust? They're on his butt every single day. And turns out he comes out and is the offensive MVP for the spring uh, whole spring and has that season afterwards. Well, Flip the coin. We haven't really seen people on Evan Stewart's butt, but he is the offensive MVP of the spring. So that's kind of a benchmark to set of, of maybe where he has been in spring practice to, to date. You know, so so obviously we're going to talk about the quarterbacks, but before we kind of get into the actual battle, so Jimbo Fisher has been very reluctant to take transfers. And and really as a head coach, he hasn't started a transfer quarterback since back in 2015 with Everett Golson at Florida State. And so do you think that taking Max Johnson, do you think that that kind of shows maybe how big the need is, that he recognizes how big a hole this was on the roster last year? Yes. I mean, he said you you got to have three 
scholarship guys on the roster because of exactly what happened last year. We asked him about transfers uh, before the spring game, and he said it's, it's not that he's against um, bringing in transfers. It's just that for the most part in all the other positions, they brought in high school guys that they really like and guys who can who can fill the role early and that they want to develop into the system early. So he said it's not necessarily that he's against transfers as much as there hasn't necessarily been a need. Now, of course, this quarterback position presented a need because they needed another guy in that room. And it certainly didn't help to, it didn't hurt to bring in a, a guy with a little bit of veteran experience where either he takes the job or it's a guy who can kind of help mentor some of these younger guys as well. If one of the younger guys um, uh, brings it in. So I, I don't, I, I think maybe in the future, if, if you have attrition because of, um, transfer portal. If you have a bunch of guys get injured, you have medical retirements, things like that, you might see them dip back into the transfer pool a little bit more. But it, I think it's been more a matter of need necessarily than just a, an overall philosophy. All right, let's get to that quarterback battle. We're asking all of our experts here the same four questions, and it starts with quarterback. And it feels like Travis, I mean, Texas A&M has like the classic modern day three-way battle, right? You have the returning guy in Haynes King who was hurt last year, but is a guy who's been around a little bit. You have the incoming blue chip recruit in Connor Wegman, and then you have the transfer in Max Johnson from LSU. Is this truly right now, Travis, is it a three-way battle? Was that what it is this spring? Is that what it will continue to be in August? Is our three guys really kind of on the same level right here, or is it really more of a two-man thing? I think it's a two and a half man battle, if that makes any sense at all. I, I think coming into the spring game, I saw it as a true three man battle. I, I, if you would have asked me two weeks ago, my, my, my line was if you, if you're asking me to put my money on who was going to be the starting quarterback, I'd say Haynes King. If I was going to put your money on it, I'd say Connor Wegman, just because of how much Jimbo Fisher has talked about, how highly about him, how highly touted he was coming in, how, there, while there is some explosive playmaking building, what Haynes King has shown so far, there is some holes as well. So there, there, there's some of those questions that made me think, you know, Connor Wigman could be the guy. But I think with the way he was utilized in the spring game, he was kind of the the second guy that bounced around from team to team, or excuse me, the third guy that kind of bounced around from both teams. Um, I, I, I think that from the looks of things and the way that Jimbo Fisher has done things in the past, uh, Haynes King and, and Max Johnson are probably the two guys. And honestly, probably if Haynes King wins it out, and even if Connor Wigman somehow was the number two finisher, you probably have Max Johnson as your backup next year anyway and save eligibility uh, on Connor Wigman anyway. So uh, I think it's those two. Now, honestly, I kind of thought Max Johnson was the best of the three. Now, that that's kind of a low bar because as Sheehan brought up before this, you know, started, they, they completed like 33% of their passes, I believe as a total unit was a windy day. Jimbo Fisher, uh, you know, said it was, it was a windy day, but as far as that poise of, of running the offense and, and looking like there was um, some confidence, I actually thought Max Johnson might've been a, a little bit of an edge better, um, so we'll see. I, you know, I, I think my, my tune has changed that it's probably up to Haynes King and Max Johnson. Um, I think Connor Wigman, uh, when, when we, I asked, uh, Anaya Smith about him, uh, earlier in the week, he, he said that if, if the season was now and his number was called, that is Connor Wigman's number was called, 
he said he had full faith in him to be able to go and do the job, but he did bring up and say that, you know, he has had some rookies, some freshman um, errors to, to correct and, and he'd work through those, but they would have trust in him. And so I think that's telling of the fact that probably he has another year of work under his belt before he can truly be in contention. So I think it's a two, two horse race. So let's just reset here real quick. Max Johnson transferred from LSU through 27 touchdowns, six interceptions last year, beat Texas A&M. 306 passing yards, three touchdowns in that win. Connor Wegman, number 22 overall player in the class of 2022. This is a big-time dude. Haynes King, the class of 2020, two years older, was the number 131 overall player there. And again, Haynes King won the job last year and then got hurt right away. So this is a guy who's won a quarterback competition at Texas A&M before. Shahan, when you hear the idea of like, it's okay, it's probably not Connor Wegman, maybe Jimbo's just a little reluctant to go with a guy that young there. Does that make sense to you? Or would you tell Jimbo, fire away, baby. Put the young <laughs> guy in and seal what happens. Or, I mean, we're talking about Texas A&M's good right now. Maybe you don't want to put that in the hands of a guy just out of high school. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we t- we've talked about this comparison quite a bit this offseason. And that's the, uh, that's the Trevor Lawrence comparison, right? Kelly Bryant starts for most of the year. Actually, funnily enough, um, you know, Travis and I, I believe we're both at that Texas A&M Clemson game when, uh, when Kelly Bryant was pulled and Trevor Lawrence really finished it out in college station. And so, you know, that was kind of how they handled that situation. We see a similar situation with Spencer Rattler last year and Caleb Williams. And, you know, you don't need to rush a guy. I think that the comparison, uh, you, you know, the contrast to that is doing what Steve Sarkeesian did last year with Hudson Card, starting Hudson Card, seeing that he wasn't ready and pulling him. And I think that it's much more detrimental to go that direction than it is to go the other direction. So I think, I think the reality is if Connor Wegman is ready, and proves that he is the best quarterback on the board, and especially if whoever starts does struggle, I think that does change things, and and you can make that change, and and I think that's a fine decision. I think it's much more difficult to throw out a true freshman and kind of isolate your two upperclassmen and then go backwards. Um, you know, on, on some sort of a similar note, right? So, so with Haynes King, he obviously wins the battle out of twenty twenty one. He's supposed to be the starting quarterback. I'm curious. You know, we haven't gotten to see a ton of Haynes King in terms of live action for obvious reasons. Three interceptions against Kent State, two interceptions in the spring game. I mean, is this is is it something that you're looking at concerned about long term that he is maybe a gunslinger that he is, you know, kind of making these bad decisions or is it just I mean, again, this is two data points. I don't want to overstate it. This yeah, point. no, uh, that was a point of concern uh, early in the season last year is the fact that uh, he would he would make some explosive plays, especially with his feet. Um, but then that would also come with maybe a turnover here or there. He he had a, a little bit of a, a a role there. Now it's it's interesting to say going into last season, and and there's so many factors that in this that it's somewhat kind of hard to compare. But the the streak of turnovers, especially in interceptions, continued when Zach Calzada came in. Some of them on the receiver. So how much of, of that without going back and actually watching the film was receivers running bad routes? Because we have already talked about how the receiving core has not necessarily been a strong suit of the Aggies um, in the last couple of years and how much of that was on King. Um, the, the, the ones during the spring game were mostly on King, but also uh, I'll again, throw out that, that it was, 
very strangely windy. It was it was a weird situation in Kyle Field last year with how windy it's been in College Station over the last uh, couple of days. Um, so yeah, there there might be something to be said about that a little bit, especially when you look at some some deep balls, at least in the completions and incompletions. But yeah, I think that is a, a point of concern. Um, I think that I think that the reason that you Jimbo Fisher liked to lean on Haynes King and, and he won the job last year is it's no, um, there isn't any reason to, to brush over the fact that he is a coach's son. Um, uh, Longview head coach, uh, uh, grew up and, and, and played there and he has that little bit of a, a competitive edge and IQ that Jimbo Fisher likes to, to bring up, uh, because of growing up next to his high school coach, uh, every day. And so I think that there's something to be said about that, but, you know, we thought that Jimbo Fisher, when he came in, would really value that real savvy pocket passer type. But he went with Kellen Mond and he didn't go with Nick Starkle. And um, last year it was Zach Calzada and, and Haynes King. And we actually got to see both of those. So the, the, the decision made a little bit more sense. But um, he went with the, the guy who could run the ball more better than he could necessarily throw the ball. So we'll see if that continues this year, because um, I, while Max Johnson probably isn't in the category of just prototypical pocket passer, he can run it a little bit. There's a little bit more of that again this year, and we'll see where Jimbo Fisher goes with that. All right. This is our spring wrap-up for the first weekend of spring games. We're going to have Clemson, Michigan, and Cincinnati coming later. This is Travis Brown from the Bryan College Station Eagle. You can find him on Twitter at, at Travis underscore L underscore Brown. You can also find him at Aggie underscore sports and at my Aggie nation. Great Texas A&M coverage. If you care about college sports, you're going to care about Texas A&M football this year, just like you have for the last couple of years. The bonus episode this week is going to be Mount Rushmore wide receivers in the college football playoff era. Shahan and I have been doing our Mount Rushmore for best guys in the playoffs at every position. We've done running back. We've done linebacker this week, the bonus episode, which will come in the next day or two will be wide receivers, but we're not stopping here. We got more Texas A&M to do because, Travis, I want to know, where are they better? Texas A&M's been pretty good. They're good. They beat Bama last year. Where are they going to be even better this year in 2022 compared to 2021 from what you've seen this spring? Well, I'll take the low-hanging fruit to start off with and say that they're going to be better at quarterback. We do that on this podcast all the time. It's practically (laughs) our motto, take the low-hanging fruit. So please take it and enjoy it. It's delicious. Yeah, I'll start it with that because they're going to be better at quarterback. I, I think, I mean, Zach Calzada was tough. I mean, he beat Alabama. He had some good games, but he was he was very up and down. And I think Haynes King proved why he won that job last year. So no matter what direction they go, I believe they're going to be better at quarterback. I, I think they're going to be better at wide receiver with Evan Stewart from every indication that we've seen and heard. Um, that, that gives a guy that, that is going to be a threat. And now you're going to draw it. You have to choose between drawing a double team between Anaya Smith, uh, between Evan Stewart. Uh, and that might open up some routes for some guys. Um, and it maybe stretch the defense a little bit with the, some of those explosive passing pay, plays that Jimbo Fisher is talking about. I think they're going to be better at not to say that they were bad because they weren't by any means, but I think that they're going to be pretty good at, uh, defensive secondary. They return a lot of really experienced guys in Jalen Jones and Damani Richardson. Uh, Tyreek Chappella to step in last year as and and uh, 
get some some injury time. He's going to be experienced at cornerback. Uh, uh, Antonio Johnson is a guy that's going to either slot in at um, safety or, or maybe stay at his nickelback position. It, it's it's a as experienced of a defensive secondary than I think AM has had, especially since Jimbo Fisher has been here, maybe since I've been here and I've been covering them for six years. Um, so I, I think they, they, Damani Richardson is probably that big standout guy. They don't necessarily have like the all American candidate maybe on that team, but it's a bunch of guys who have a lot and lot of playing time. And I think that that's actually going to pay a lot of dividends for, um, for AM this year. So I would probably lean back on defensive secondary. But then again, the, the low hanging fruit on defense is going to be the defensive line too, because yeah, they lose all four guys, but they have a, they, they use rotation on that defensive line a lot. And a lot of those guys have a lot of experience time where we talk about McKinley Jackson, uh, Isaiah Rakes, the, the Fahil Diggs, the defensive end is, is a guy who, who got the defensive MVP. Uh, if we want to put uh, credit on that, the same way that I kind of put credit on the offensive MVP for the spring. Um, so, and then you have, you know, your, your, um, Walter Nolan's, your, your, uh, Gabriel Brownlow Dinley's, those guys who are the freshmen who could make an instant impact. It's going to be deep. There's going to be a lot of competition. Um, I think that those are some positions that they, they are really going to be stacked. Again, Evan Stewart, his name keeps coming up, number 11 overall recruit in this freshman class in the nation, number two overall receiver in the country, according to 247 Sports. Shahan, that's a lot of places where Texas A&M is going to improve. Yeah. Sounds like they're going to be pretty good. Yeah, no question. By the way, also, Evan Stewart, big on TikTok. So, you know, if you're if – you're, Is he really? Well, he is. He is. He's, I think he's got like a million followers on TikTok or something like that. Is, it, does he, is he good at the dances, at the TikTok dances? I think so. I'm, I'm so not in – I am on TikTok, but I'm so not in that universe of TikTok, like the athletes dancing in a lot. I, I'm not any part of that, but he is apparently – very big on TikTok. <laughs> now I'm now I'm curious what kind of what kind of universe of TikTok are are you in? It, TikTok is great, man. I think you are just enough younger than me <laughs> that 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 you that you fit, fit into that Venn diagram. <laughs> I just had I just played a city league soccer game yesterday, and I had to put icy hot on my back before i went out there so i'm in that demographic now what what is what is this tiktok demographic yeah so the great thing about tiktok i would advise everybody to get on it uh is that it like is so personalized so like you're just flipping through and so like i get videos that are like uh i mean a lot of like comedy stuff for sure like kind of skits and stuff like that but then i also get like uh like diet tips or like workout stuff or like you know you just get all sorts of like it's fun like that so it's it's very personalized is the point i've never like literally never once in my whole life got some white girl dancing it's never happened in my entire life <laughs> I, I i know that, that everybody's surprised but like seriously it's it's, it's its own world but anyway we should <laughs> if you by the way yeah if if you do ever come across a white girl dancing it might be one of my daughters so just so you know uh also if either. i get on tiktok can I can I filter out the workout videos if I don't want those? <laughs> and the, it'll figure you, it figures you out in like thirty minutes. It's <laughs> oh, crazy. It'll figure it, me it, out. It figures you I, out real quick. <laughs> have you guys ever watched the videos of like a nice sponge cake being cut, and it's just a nice slice of like through a beautiful cake, and it is so satisfying to watch a knife just take a nice beautiful slice of cake my daughter and i watch those i think that I, I might be weird but that's a tiktok <laughs> thing I'll, I'll tell you it's not tiktok but my like go-to like 
like weird a- ASMR type thing that helps me fall asleep is there's this guy named Brooks Holt on YouTube and him and his girlfriend travel the country and play mini golf courses. <laughs> and there's just something so relaxing about watching them just, you know, like play some cool mini. I, I am not going to lie. My, I think we're going to Austin for my bachelor party and there's like a place called putt pub that is like a bar and putt-putt place in San Marcos. And I think that's what we're going to do that's because awesome. I watch these stupid <laughs> putt-putt videos. So I guess everyone has their thing. They, I mean, they, they have one of those. We actually just went to one of those like a week ago up here in Dallas. They have one up in the colony. So like a like a bar putt-putt place. Drunk putting. Oh, I do miss Dallas. Wait, 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 what was it called? It's called the puttery. You got you to gotta make it up. There. Okay. It's I went good. to... Uh, <laughs> I went to uh, 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 another round last time. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> yes. we, we, we digress. It's we digress. Drunk. Putting. Drunk. Anyway, putting. follow Evan Stewart on TikTok is the point. Um, but uh, <laughs> to move on, to move on, let's let's take it back to the team. Uh, so obviously we know that their TikTok game is going to be stronger this year. Where are they going to be worse? Where do they need to improve? Where are the biggest question marks? So I think that the, the probably – at running back, I, I, hear me out here. They have Devon A-Chain, who is like the fastest 200 runner in the country right now on the track team. He, he's done great things. He's going to be a, a great feature back. I think that there'll be some question marks on who's going to be that secondary guy because they've had that great one-two punch of Isaiah Spiller and Devon A-Chain uh, the, the last two years. Um Who's going to be that? LJ Johnson seems like he's going to be that next step. Amari Daniels had a really good spring game. So uh, they're going to use Anaya Smith a little bit back there more. Uh, so I think the depth that running back has a question mark that hasn't necessarily been there. I, I think who's going to be those guys besides Evan Stewart and uh, Anaya Smith at wide receiver that that next tier of wide receivers uh, is, is going to be a question mark. And I think that Jalen Weidermeyer at tight, at tight end the last two years have re- has really had that lockdown. It's been the security blanket for a lot of, for both Kellen Mond, Zach Calzada and Haynes King. He's moved on. They have, like I said, they probably had to move more chairs into the tight end room, which you, you would think would be like a small storage closet in college football now. Um, but they have, so many tight ends. So what, what that's going to look like. And I think that linebacker, they bring back Andre White. They bring back Edron Cooper. Edron Cooper had a really good spring game. I, I don't want to besmirch Edron Cooper at all, but I, I'm curious to see how um, they, they do with that because he hasn't necessarily – they've had a guy who has been the guy at linebacker just about every year since Jimbo Fisher's, whether it's Buddy Johnson, whether it's Aaron Hansford, who's going to be that guy at, at linebacker? I think those are some of the question marks um, that that come to mind in my head moving into the season. It hurts my heart that we did not mention Devon A-Chain until the 27-minute mark, and he came <laughs> after drunk putting. Then we got, I love <laughs> Devon A-Chain. Like, is he, we know how good he was as a combo, as a dual threat, uh, two man backfield with Isaiah uh, Spiller last year. Like, is he a dude? Can is he a is he a number one back? Is he get a rush for or maybe not even rush, but have combined fifteen hundred yards from scrimmage? Shahan, is that the kind of thing we should be thinking about with Devon A. Chain? Do you think? I'm curious, right? So, um, 
you know, sometimes when you have these smash and dash backfields, right, like guys just fit that role so well. And and you kind of like love being able to play off of a guy. And sometimes it just doesn't work the same way when you've only got the one, right? Like when you only have the guy who's maybe the, the change of pace type back. And that's what I'm curious about. You know, I, I do think that they have enough guys on the roster and obviously – it's Texas A&M. They've recruited well enough, but uh, you know, to have guys who are going to be able to fight for maybe that sort of uh, that more all-purpose role, because I, I do think that that's where Devon Chain is going to be at his best is when he is kind of playing off of somebody else when he's a little bit more change of pace. Because you know, look, he, he's a track star, he, but he is not. You know, he's not Bijan Robinson in terms of like size right he's not he's not somebody who's gonna want to take a whole ton of punishment I think for me you know he could easily have 1200 1300 1400 yards that's not a question to me but I think that the question is you know how can they divvy that up how can they make his job just a little bit easier here here's here's what I'm thinking with that when we when I heard that they're gonna probably shift an I Smith back and use him even a little bit more in the the backfield than he did last year. He'll still split time, but use him a little bit more. The first thing that came to my mind was at the beginning of last year and a lot during uh, Kellen Mond's senior year, they used what they called their pony set, their two back set, uh, kind of a pistol split on each side type set. And I, I think that that will help him a lot because you're going to put Anaya Smith in the backfield with him on that set. And he's going to be more of a pass, a pass catching threat out of the backfield. So it's going to be, it's going to work a little bit more RPO than, than maybe they've done in, in the past. Uh, so that the defense has to either play pass or run. And that might open up some gaps for a chain out of that set. They ran really well out of it two years ago. And so it might, instead of it being a little more, like you said, uh, a smash and, and dash, it might be a little bit more RPO look this year. And, and A&M hasn't really been a big RPO team um, since, since Fisher has come to A&M. They, they, they were a little bit more Kellen Mond senior year last year. They were not very much at all. Um, so I might make a, a little bit more RPO look might, might help him out a little bit more. LJ Johnson though, too, is that a little bit more of that, that physical runner like Isaiah Spiller was. And so maybe slotting him in there a little bit more playing time. Some of those, uh, third down runs and stuff might be, uh, uh an option to kind of give that look as well. All right. Money question, Travis, from what you saw, what you learned this spring, does Texas A&M look like a college football playoff contender? Doesn't mean they have to be one of the four, but are they going to be right in the mix this fall? Oh, geez. Um, I, I know there's probably A&M fans who won't like me saying this, but like, I'll, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Like they, they've been so close so many times. You even go back to 2016 with Trevor Knight and Keith Ford and they are undefeated and they're, they're number four in the first rankings and they go out to Mississippi State and they, uh, just, you know, uh, have shaky knees and, 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 and it's a little, little bit of a choke. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that. Yes, I think that it's it's hard not to say that there will be a contender that that they there if they do what if they win the games that they're supposed to win, which is darn near all of them. That yeah, they should be in very much contention for the college football playoff. But that the the, the fine line between getting in 
and not might be the Alabama game. And can they go to Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama with a first year quarterback and um, a, a freshman wide receiver and uh, Devon a chain with his first year as a feature back. And I, I think that there is questions on that. And again, it just like it is every year with pretty much every team in the sec West that has any kind of glimmer of hope. It's that Alabama game circled. It's a lot more difficult when you go to Tuscaloosa. Um, but yeah, I, I, sure. Yes. I think that they have every right to be in that conversation, to be in contention. I think that they have the ability to win the games they need to win to put them there. Now let's see if this is the season where they can go out and achieve that. One last thing on this. So every number one recruiting class since 2011 has won a national championship. And you look before that, I mean, that's kind of the, mainly the 247 composite era, but you go before that, I mean, it's a lot of them, right? It's like 18 of 21 or something like that. So so first of all, how close is A&M to being able to do that with this number one recruiting class? And kind of along with that, what needs to change most if Texas A&M, other than obviously Nick Saban retiring, but uh, other than that, what needs to change most for Texas A&M to be able to join that group, just like Georgia did, just like Alabama's done, just like USC did back in the day, just like Texas did back in the day? Well, I think that, I mean, naturally that recruiting trend needs to continue because this is the first year. And if you look at the Georgias, you look at the Alabamas, they had national championship recruiting titles that led to national titles, but that was after a year, two years of getting that top three class, that, that class with a bunch of absolute instant game changers. That's not saying anything bad about the way AM's recruited since Jimbo Fisher's come. They've had top five classes. And so you, you can say that a little bit of that is there, but you, you, you have to build a little bit on that. So I think that it'll be very, I am almost as interested to see how this season goes. I'm as interested to see what national signing day looks like for the Aggies next year and see where that, that uh, dot chart goes up, down, even, I mean, you really can't go up. It's either even or down. Um, and, and so I think that's one of the first steps is just to see how this recruiting wave continues. I mean, we've all covered recruiting a long time. You know how, Sometimes a lot of this is the popularity contest. What's trendy? What is uh, Evan Stewart talking about on TikTok that everyone likes to hear about? And so they want to come to a and I'm, I'm outing myself as that next <laughs> generation of old. So the, so I, I'm curious to see how that momentum goes, no matter how the season goes on the football field. But I will be curious to see what this next gener, how well this, this, this current generation of quarterbacks grasp Jimbo Fisher's offense and how this current squad of wide receivers grasps his offense. Because again, the, the biggest, the only time that there's been any kind of criticism lumped on Jimbo Fisher in his tenure here at A&M, it's that people have said, well, the offense is too hard and people is Twitter and Twitter knows nothing, but it is curious to see what some of the scuttlebutt is around and I will be interested to see if, if that is, if there is some weight to those arguments or if it's just simply uh, a fan base that was losing some games and, and wants something to, to complain about. Um, so that's probably the next thing on offense. And 
you know, we talked about again something that we didn't bring up until you know minutes after drunk putting. New defensive coordinator DJ Durkin. Uh, so much of this success has been on A and M's defense the last couple of years, and that was Mike Elko's ship. What is DJ Durkin going to do, and how closely is that going to resemble Mike Elko's defense? Because if you look at spring game, you might not have known that he had actually left for Duke yet. It looked pretty darn similar um, from a from a just a naked eye, quick glance type of perspective. How much of his fingerprints are going to be on this defense? How much is Jimbo Fisher going to say, "Hey, here was the playbook the last couple of years"? Oversimplifying it, do that because it worked. He's Travis Brown. You can find him on Twitter, Travis underscore L underscore Brown. Find great Texas A&M sports coverage at TheEagle.com. We will have Michigan. We will have Clemson. We will have Cincinnati coming up next. For now, Travis, thanks so much for your time. You got it, guys. That was great. That was informative. That is a talent-laden, interesting team that everybody in college football is going to be watching this fall. We will be right back to talk more about spring games on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. It's a pleasure to be joined by Aaron McMahon of MLive.com, talking about the Michigan spring game. Aaron, why do the Wolverines get it out of the way so early? Does Jim... I know Jim Harbaugh likes to take the team out on a big trip and they go places, but Michigan got done about as any early as anybody in the country. Why is that the Michigan schedule? Well, it's really the second year they went early. They, Jim started early of his time last year, uh, I think in part because he brought in a new coaching staff. They were overhauling the defense, trying to get their ex, you know the scheme together and everything else. So I think it was more so of that. Um, this year, I, I, we never really got a good answer for it. I, I think it was maybe him just trying to like keep things and you know uh, just trying to recopy last year after you know everything worked last year. Michigan got the Big Ten title game. I think he thought, well, if it worked last year, let's do it again this year. Hard to argue with success, right? My gosh, that was about as good of a football season as Michigan had seen since its national championship season. So, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, Obviously, the presence of Colin Kaepernick got a lot of attention, kind of a cool thing that happened at the spring game. Just what was the vibe around that? Obviously, it's one of those things that's like I I actually had a moment where I was like, why is why is Colin Kaepernick at Michigan? Like what? And it's like, oh, no. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh was his coach. You ding dong. It's not random. Jim Harbaugh knows this guy. Jim Harbaugh coached this guy when he was a Super Bowl quarterback. What was it like that Colin Kaepernick was around the Michigan program at the end of spring? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people forgot that. Either if you follow Jim Harbaugh or Michigan in Michigan or don't, I think people forget that, you know, you're, as you mentioned, you know, Colin Kaepernick was a starting quarterback with the San Francisco 49ers, you know, took him to a Super Bowl. Uh, Jim has largely defended Colin over the years. So in, in a way, once you hear that and understand the, the connection there, it makes sense. Um, now, this trip, I think, caught many by surprise. You know, we, we talked to some players in the lead up to Michigan spring game last weekend, and, and they were kind of given a little bit of a heads up that Colin was coming. But I think it caught them off guard, too. Um, I, I think part of this was, again, Jim get, wanting to give a former player, uh, uh, obviously, a platform to try and get back to the NFL because it's been no secret that Colin wants to try and get back to the NFL team. He's, he said that publicly. Um, I think this Jim thought this was an opportunity to give him a, a workout in a way, you know, in front of the Big Ten Network cameras. Um, from my understanding, there were a handful of NFL scouts here in attendance, mainly from local teams. I think the, the Lions especially were there. Um, so it was an opportunity for that. As far as the um, the vibe around the, the I guess, the, the, the game or the event itself, um, you know, it, 
it, it's weird in the days leading up to the the spring game a lot of folks on social media were as you can imagine half and half you know some folks were, were for Colin coming in others were not um, I guess it depends on which way your politics falls, right? Um, but I, as far as the game on Saturday, I think I heard more cheers than jeers uh, for Colin. It seemed like everyone, most folks, they were at least supportive or understanding of why he was there. Um, you know, and then he, he, he did his, he did his halftime thing. Uh, it took about 10 minutes. Uh, there are a handful of um, free agent, I guess you can call it, NFL receivers there, a couple former Michigan guys uh, kind of catching his, catching passes from him. Uh, looked good. His arm still looked strong. Uh, you know, he, he missed some, he made some good throws, uh, you know, whether, whether it's enough to get him on an NFL team, we'll see. Uh, but it was, it was certainly in a way, and I, I almost thought the theatrics of Colin being there almost overshadowed the game itself. Um, but I have to think Jim, you know, knowing what was going to happen, probably knew that was, you know, knew that to be the situation. Yeah. Okay, again, April 2nd, getting it out of the way early. Let's get to our questions, what we learned about Michigan football this spring. What did the spring, Aaron, tell us about the quarterback situation at Michigan and obviously the fact that J.J. McCarthy is not there? Let's make sure people understand that. And and where is the quarterback position right now for the Wolverines? Yeah, we didn't really get any clear – Okay, coming into the spring, I think the assumption from the fan base and many of us who follow the program is this is going to be a legitimate competition at the quarterback position between Cade McNamara, who most folks saw last year basically win the starting job and and hold on to it for for a 14-game season. And then you've got J.J. McCarthy, the former five-star recruit. Uh, you know, a lot of fans and folks were clamoring to see him last year, and they, and they did in bits and pieces. But it was apparent as the season went along that Michigan's coaching staff and Jim Harbaugh were, were you know, set – were riding with Cade McNamara. So coming into the year, I think most folks thought it was going to be a kind of a imano imano competition, one versus one. That just never ended up being the case. You know, J.J. McCarthy has been sidelined with a shoulder injury for most of the, most of the spring. My understanding is he didn't do much of throwing at all. Uh, so you start to wonder how much that – um, you know, sets him back. You know, he, he basically went entire spring, all 15 practices without kind of really having to show much. Uh, my understanding is he still got dressed in practices, still went through the motion, so to speak, but didn't throw the football. So I think in a way that gave Cade McNamara a leg up. You know, he was a guy who I think felt like he needed to um, prove himself again this spring. Uh, you know, so but at the end of the day, there was no competition. It was it was Cade McNamara. He exited exit spring as the 1A at this point. Um, and, and, and that's kind of where things stand at this, at this rate. Um, my understanding is JJ is going to throw at some point again, whether it's this summer or for fall camp, you know, being in the spring, we asked, when we asked about the situation, JJ or uh, Jim Harbaugh was kind of, you know, he didn't want to delve in it. He didn't want to give out too many details as he usually does. You know, he said there was a short-term rehab plan for JJ and there's a long-term rehab plan. Now he failed to spell out what the specifics were on either one. Um, but the assumption in, in, since then in talking to assistant coaches and some of the players, it sounds like JJ's going to throw again this summer. They're going to get, try him again. So it, it, the, the nature of the injury remains kind of a mystery. It doesn't, I, I don't know how serious it is, but I have to think if he can throw and they want, and they want him out there, I, I think they're going to give it, give it a shot. I will say, Aaron, sometimes it can feel like with the five-star quarterback that not starting for two years, you'd somehow be behind. You'd be behind the, the schedule in your own head or the schedule of the expectations. When in reality, especially when J.J. had a role last year, he took some important snaps for a team that made the playoff. He clearly is going to be involved if he's healthy some way this year. I thought he would start early at Michigan, but if he's not the starter 
until 2023. That's not crazy. That's not a failure. That's not a problem. It's just, okay, well, maybe then you tear it up right away and you go to the NFL as a one-year starter. Maybe you then have two or three years to be a starter if you want. He still can be on schedule even if he, even if Cade McNamara is still the guy this year, right? 100%. You know, in a way, this is maybe how Jim Harbaugh wants it, ideally. You know, he's, Jim has always been the guy that kind of rides the more experienced, older quarterback, the guy who's kind of proven himself. And that's what Cade did last year. He proved himself. And there were a lot of folks that were doubting him. A lot of folks thought he couldn't handle it, you know, couldn't take a team to the Big Ten title game or, or fill in the blank. And, and Cade McNamara did that. Uh, you know, you can criticize things and criticize, you know, his arm strength or whatever the case may be. But uh, it was Cade McNamara's team last year. He, he played well. He, he he earned his spot. And I, I, I think if you're J.J., I think you're fine with that, too. A lot of folks are wondering, well, if J.J. doesn't get the starting job or at least right away this fall, is he going to transfer, leave Michigan, whatever, because the transfer portal is such a big deal now. And my answer always is no. I mean, J.J. was – um, attracted to Michigan, obviously for Michigan, but he really likes Jim Harbaugh. I think he wants to play for Jim Harbaugh. And I think he's willing and able to stick to stick it out as long as he has to. And and I think you know I think he's fine with it. He seems like a team player. He wants to be a captain. He's going to be I think at some point. Um, but yeah, one or two years, uh, you know, playing, I think it'll be fine with him. Given you know his his talent, I mean, he's got a he's he's got a high ceiling. We all talk about it. He's he's got arm strength. I I, I haven't seen a, a, a since I've been covering the team since 2017. I haven't seen the arm strength of a kid. Maybe Joe Milton, but Joe Milton just didn't have the accuracy that JJ does and the playmaking ability. So I think he'll be fine, uh, even if he doesn't win the starting job. But like you said, that assuming he's healthy and able to play this fall, they're going to carve out a role for him. Uh, you know, it would not surprise me if they split set snaps more so than we saw last year. Um, because, you know, JJ provides dimension that K doesn't. He has the mobility. He can kind of get out of the pocket with ease and he, and he can make that explosive play that, that K, you know, K just simply can't. Two quarterbacks in the playoff last year that proved a lot of people wrong. I had my hand raised on, I don't know if Cade McNamara is good enough to get this done. I was waiting all year for J.J. McCarthy to take over. And then you wind up Cade McNamara's in the playoffs, Stetson Bennett's in the playoff, which is proof if you have an awesome defense, you don't have to be Bryce Young. But that's not to take away from either of those two guys. They're playoff quarterbacks. They did what they needed to do to get their team there. So all credit to Cade McNamara, and you understand why. I mean, it's a good problem to have. Oh, you mean the, the playoff quarterback is returning and the five-star guy is still here? Okay. what? That's not a problem, Michigan football. You're good to go. Question two. From the spring, Aaron, what did you see that would lead you to believe that Michigan is better this year in some area than they were last year? Where was their improvement that you saw this spring? I think they're going to be one of the dynamic offensively. I think this team, we very much saw a one-dimensional offense last year that leaned on the running game and leaned on the, the power and, and up front. And I think they're going to have that again this year. They're turning three starters up front. They've got a, a All-American potential center who transferred in from Virginia this year. Cade's back. Um, and, but they've got a lot of their receivers back, and they've got three true freshmen. And I'm not going to – I don't want to beat the whole – you know, fresh the freshman drum that a lot of fans like to cling to, but they they genuinely have a group of receivers. I think Michigan, the staff and the folks behind the scenes believe that that could be playmakers eventually. So I I, I think you're going to see Michigan try and throw the ball a little bit more this year. I think you're going to see a um, a whiff of that speed and space offense that Josh Gaddis talked about a couple of years ago when he first got to Michigan that that really never showed up. 
Um, I, I, I think you're going to see a more balanced team. We started to see that late last year, um, but it wasn't it wasn't 14 games, and it, I think it was just a taste of I think what they believe they can do. So there there are question marks on the defensive side of the ball, uh, as you know, rightfully so. They lose you know Aiden Hutchinson, David Ajawa, but I, I think the offensive line can be as good as last year. And they got Blake Corum, arguably they're probably a better running back last year. If he didn't get hurt, he probably had a rush for more than Hassan Haskins. And you've got a group of receivers I think are ready to break out. So I, I think this offense could be very good. Um, I think it was good at times last year, but I think as as the, the chance to be very good this year. Again, people know it. You lose your best receiver, Ronnie Bell, right off the bat, and you make the playoff anyway. That's quite an accomplishment for Michigan last year. Again, they did what they had to do, but the idea that they can be more dynamic there is is very interesting, especially, again, with the veteran quarterback. All right, you sort of touched on a little bit. What did you see this spring? Where is Michigan not going to be as good in 2022 as they were in 2021? And I assume it has something to do with losing two first-round edge rushers. Yeah, you kind of teed me up there. <laughs> the edge rushers, yeah, they're not going to get the production that, that Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajab provide last year. Now, coming into last year, everyone knew, I think, Aiden Hutchinson was going to be this this monster, um, you know, sack guy, assuming he stayed healthy and he did. Uh, but I think what the, 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 what, so Aiden's production, I think really helped David because coming into the year, no one knew David Jabo's name. You know, we'd heard about him on the cursory in the last couple of years of, you know, potentially being a guy, but I think he really benefited from having Aiden on the opposite side of him. And now there's none, none of that. I mean, you're not, there's going to be no dominant guy in the edge rush. So I, I think Michigan is really going to have to lean on a group of guys, four or five potentially to try and, try and mimic that production and they acknowledge it. I mean, they, they're first year defensive coordinator. They got a new defensive line coach and both guys have come out and said openly, and they've told the players this, don't try to be Aiden Hutchinson. Don't be a job. you're not going to be them. So I, I think that the challenge for Michigan this fall is finding that, that pass rush from somewhere else. And I, I think you're going to get some of it on the outside. They've got some guys they like guys that have been around the program a couple of years. Uh, Mike Morris, Taylor Upshaw, um, you know, J- Jalen Harrell, uh, Braden McGregor. So there are names there, but nobody's really kind of come out there and proved themselves. So I think between those guys and Michigan's going to have to lean a little bit more on the interior. Uh, uh, defensive tackle, Mozzie Smith, they really like. They think they can get more pass rush out of him. But I just don't see it happening. You're, they're not going to have an All-American edge rusher. They're not going to have that guy who I think can can bring, you know, rise all rise all boats, so to speak, on the other side. So it's, it's going to be, a, I think it's going to be a tough task for them to get to the quarterback this fall. A lot of praise for Mike McDonald as a defensive coordinator last year. So good. He got an NFL defensive coordinator job out of it. They okay there? I mean, Mike McDonald clearly had a lot to do with Michigan's success last year. All the players said it, right? He sort of put talented guys in positions to succeed. How, How are they replacing him and will it be as good? Yeah, I think the big thing with McDonald's is IQ. I think he recognized where the you know the, the top personnel was, and he think he recognized how you could out scheme some opposing teams, and he did it. Um, you know, as for replacing him, they've got a new defensive coordinator by the name of Jesse Minter. Comes from Vanderbilt. He was there one year. Before that, he was with the Baltimore Ravens. Kind of worked with McDonald a little bit. So they're calling this year two of Mike McDonald's defense, except Mike McDonald's isn't here anymore. So I don't think you're going to see a ton of change from Michigan schematically this fall. Um, they're obviously going to change some slight, some slightly things. They have different personnel, as I mentioned. They, they don't have the edge rusher they had last year, so they're going to do some things and get some production elsewhere. But I don't think you're going to see a ton of change. I, I think they're going to try and do what they did last year. As for IQ, I don't know where Minter is compared to McDonald. You know, we've heard good things about him. John Harbaugh raved about Jesse Minter. Um, he thought he was ready for the you know, college game. That's why Vanderbilt scooped him up last year. 
but it's hard to get a read on a guy who was a defensive coordinator one year in college at a, at a low level SEC school. So they weren't very good there. Um, you know, but the good thing is for Minter, at least, you know, the pieces are in place, you know, the, the, the foundation is there, the X's and O's and the scheme is there. Now he's got to go out and kind of duplicate what McDonald did. And I think that's where the game planning and those, those days leading up to games are going to be so key. You know, and he, again, as I mentioned earlier, he's not the only new coach on staff. They got a new defensive line coach as well. So, uh, there's going to be a lot of, you know, I think of a lot of what we saw last year. Um, with different players, and and that's where I think we're going to see the the dip here. You, I don't think you, you don't have the superstar in the defensive backfield. They lose Dax and Hill at safety, so they're going to have to make up for that. Um, so Michigan, I don't think is going to be a strong defensively, and I think that's where the offense has to has to make up. All right, last question: From what you saw this spring, does this look like a team that can be a playoff contender? Can be in the mix for a playoff spot again in twenty twenty two? Yeah, it's such a hard question because if you asked me that last year, you know, I would have said no way, you know. So I, I have to think with Michigan having gone this, gone through the season they did last year and get some of those big road wins like at Wisconsin and come from behind and beat Penn State and finally get over the hump and beat Ohio State, I, I think there's a new attitude there. And I think there's this 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 different type of confidence that we've, we haven't seen from a Michigan team in a long time. You know, I've said this the other day, but coming out of Michigan Stadium on Saturday after the spring game, I said to myself and I said to my colleagues, I noticed you know, on the field, this team is having fun again. And this wasn't that wasn't the case a couple years ago. You know, Saturday, guys are scoring touchdowns and busting out the cell phones and doing selfies on the field and doing all these like crazy, weird celebrations. That wasn't the case a couple years ago. And I don't know if that was just a morale on the team or – something changed from within with Jim Harbaugh on the coaching staff, but this team is having fun again. So I, if you were able to, you know, have that confidence and you're having fun and, you know, it get, you get a winner here, here too. And, and you have the confidence that you didn't have before. I, I think anything is possible. Now, the good thing for Michigan, at least they've, they've got a pretty easy schedule. There, there's no reason they don't start four or five and all this year. And it's kind of what they did last year. And it kind of got the ball rolling on, on everything. So again, it's, it's probably going to come down to those key matchups like every year, Michigan state and Ohio state. And if they can, you know, at least go, you know, 11 and one or split those games, I think there's an opportunity to get back in the big 10 championship. Um, you know, I, I think doors open, you know, Ohio State losing last year changed things a little bit, uh, not only in this rivalry, but I think that it's the scope of the Big Ten East. Um, so we'll see. I, I think they'll have the opportunity to contend. Will they get there? My money probably says no. Um, but again, never say never with this team. Aaron McMahon, as good of Michigan coverage as you'll find. Make sure you guys are reading it at MLive.com. Aaron, thanks so much for giving us some of your time here on the College Football Survivor Show. Always glad to do it, Doug. Joined on the College Football Survivor Show by Matt Connolly, the best Clemson coverage you will find. Does it at ClemsonSports.com, part of the On3 Sports Network, On3 taking over the world, Matt. And you've been, I mean, you've been doing Clemson. You have a young, you have a cherubic face. You're a young man, <laughs> but you've been covering Clemson forever. How many years have you been covering Clemson now? Oh, since like 2015, probably. So. Oh. Going on my seventh year. My when face it, is aging quickly. I got I got two young kids I'm chasing around. So there you go. When you give the sigh before the answer, that means uh, you've been doing it well. It wasn't 2015, <laughs> it was uh 2015. So uh you're all over it. If you guys are looking to follow the Tigers and if you care about college football, why wouldn't you be looking to follow the Tigers? Clemsonsports.com is the place to go. So make sure you check out that website, check out Matt's coverage. Matt Clemson spring game on Saturday. We're kind of asking people the same kind of question. So I want to start. Well, I, this is not an official question. How's Dabo? 
How's he feeling? What was the Dabo vibe this spring? Dabo is always positive. Um, no, ma- no matter what's going on, Dabo is going to be positive. Um, you know, it's interesting. He said this spring that last year's team had no business winning 10 games, which I thought was an interesting kind of thing from him because throughout last year, he basically kept saying, you know, we've got a good team. Um, you know, we're, we're right there. We could have beat Georgia. We were right there with Georgia, right there with NC State. We can beat anybody. Uh, but then, you know, reflected back in the spring, he said, man, we had no business winning 10 games with the injuries we had and inconsistent play on offense. So, um, yeah, I mean, he he's upbeat as ever, you know, feels good about where they are at quarterback, which it wasn't a great offensive performance in the spring, but they had a lot of guys out. And I'm sure we'll get to that some. But, yeah, he, he feels good. He's optimistic like he always is. Um, that's just kind of who Dabo is. OK, I mean, you think about it, it's, it's clearly a down year for Clemson that has been a, a playoff staple, but three losses, you lose to the national champ 10 to three in your opener. You lose right. at, at a good NC state team in September. And then you lose at Pitt to a guy who's a Heisman finalist and Kenny Pickett. So it's like, I mean, and that's bad, but that's the Clemson standard. That's the standard they've set for themselves. Yeah. And, th- and that's what Davo says, but you know, the other way to look at it is, you know, you played just about everyone on the schedule close. I mean, Florida State, fortunate to escape with a win. That score ended up looking a lot better than it did because of a, a you know, to pitch the ball around at the end of the game and Clinton ends up scoring on the last play. But, um, you know, that Florida State game was one that they were very, very fortunate to win. Um, God, you can just go on down the schedule. I mean, NC State, obviously they lost. Boston College was a six-point game. Syracuse, they went at Syracuse by three. Um, when they miss a field goal as time expires, they were driving and looked like they were about to take the lead and, and end up selling for a field goal and missed it. So Louisville, you know, you get a goal line stop the last second. So yeah, if you're an optimist, you would say, Hey, you know, Clemson was right there and could have won every game last year. Uh, but if you want to look at the other side of it, they could have ended up six and six pretty easily yeah. as well. Cause it, you know, it just wasn't a dominant team at all um, the way that it had been against the ACC. It really, Struggling no matter the opponent. I mean, even Georgia Tech goes a, a horrible Georgia Tech team, just being quite frank. And um, they were lucky to escape with that one with a 14 day win. So it's a weird year for Clemson all around. Okay. All right. Let's dive into what you learned about the Tigers this spring, what they learned about themselves. Let's start with the quarterbacks. Five star and a five star coming in. I love five right. star battles. <laughs> what did you learn about the old guy and the new guy when it comes to? the quarterback situation with Clemson? Yeah, first of all, DJ just looks great from a physical standpoint. He's lost – DJ Uyunglele, he's lost 20, 25 pounds. Really? He's moving much better. Yeah, moving much better. Um, you know, he – and part of it was an injury, but he really struggled last year just with his mobility and the pocket kind of getting around. And part of that was he had a banged-up knee. So, he's doing much better. He lost a lot of weight. Uh, you know, I thought he had better touch on the ball in the spring game. That was one thing he struggled with. It's just he has a huge arm and, and – doesn't always know how to control it. So I think he got better there. Um, he's still too inaccurate with the ball, though, at times. You know, we saw in the spring game, he was under 50% completion. Some of that was because he's throwing to walk-ons because Clemson was out without several of its top receivers, and they're not going to play, you know, guys that have anything banged up at all um, in a spring game. But he still was inaccurate at times. You know, like I said, completed less than 50% of his passes. A lot of his yards were on check downs, even in the spring game. So. I think you feel a little better about DJ than you did last year, but still nothing that I necessarily saw that said, oh, man, this guy's ready to go have a Heisman year and he's going to have a great year. You know, on the other side of the ball, 
I'm sorry, the other the other five star that you mentioned, uh Kay Klubnik, he's accurate. Um you know, I, I was really, really impressed with him. First of all, just from a leadership standpoint, you know, he's sprinting around to every station, every rep they're doing. He's you know, he's constantly encouraging guys. So I think from a leadership standpoint, he's going to be really good and he's going to be a guy who's comfortable kind of being the face uh, of a program whenever his time comes. From an accuracy standpoint, he's very, very accurate. You know, that's one reason. He was ranked a five-star quarterback because of his accuracy and because of his knowledge, more so than having a rocket-type arm like a Trevor Lawrence or DJ. Um, he's just very, very accurate with his ball, good ball placement, good decision-making. The one thing – or I, I'll, I'll give you two things he needs to improve on. One is just adding weight. He came in around 180, 185. I think they'd like to see him get up to close to 200, um, you know, by the time the season starts. And then the other one is just uh, pocket presence and realizing mm-hmm. that these guys – and college football are a lot faster than the guys that he was going up against in high school. Uh, just, you know, if you watch the spring game Saturday, he took four or five sacks probably. Dabo was mic'd up for the broadcast and was saying, you know, he's got purple purple jersey syndrome, has to get rid of the ball, and uh, he was taking too many sacks and all that kind of stuff. So he's a pretty fast player. Actually, he's really fast for a quarterback, and I think he just kind of got accustomed in high school to – he could outrun guys, but Clemson's got defensive ends who run four, five, four, six that he's not getting away from. So those would probably be two things uh, negative from him, but overall a really good spring for him. Did you see anything this spring during spring practice, or the spring game that would lead you to believe Matt, that Cade Klubnick could have a role this fall or that Cade Klubnick could be the quarterback if DJ Uyunglele struggles at all? Yeah, I did. I mean, and, you know, I think if, even just watching how the reps were split up in the spring game, I mean, DJ and Cade, you know, those two guys played the entire first half. You know, a lot of times in the spring game, you let your starters play a quarter, quarter and a half maybe, and, and you know, throw 10, 15 passes and get out of there. Well, both of those guys played the entire first half for the opposite teams and then came back in the third quarter. Uh, you know, the third and fourth string guys got a couple of series. Then they brought them back in in the third quarter and fourth quarter. Then DJ actually finished out the game the quarterback trying to lead a two-minute drive. So you're not doing that, I don't think, unless you're evaluating and, and trying to see, you know, what guys are good at and where they need to still grow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, if DJ – I think last year with Tyson Pumachon as the backup, it took a that, – that leash was pretty long. And we really didn't see Clemson go to him until the pit game um, when DJ threw a, a really bad pick six on a shovel pass. And that was really the only time you, you thought, okay, maybe there's a legit quarterback battle here. With with Cade uh, backing up DJ now, you know I think if if he has one or two bad games, I wouldn't be surprised at all. If or even in the middle of a game, you know if they say, "Hey, let's give Cade a series or two and see what he can do," that will be something to watch this fall for sure. Matt, this spring, what was something that you saw from Clemson that makes you believe Clemson will be better in a certain area in 2022 than it was in 2021? I think it's the defense, and that seems crazy to say with Brent Venables gone, um, but that defense is, man, it's just loaded with talent. I mean, a defensive end, they've got Miles Murphy, Xavier Thomas, two guys who have been around for a while, played a lot of football. It was unfair in the spring game. I mean, that you know, I said DK took a lot of sacks and was holding on to the ball too long, but he didn't have a chance. I mean, th- those guys were in the backfield so quick. Um, you know, Tyler Davis at defensive tackle is a guy that's, Got a chance to be a high draft pick. Brian Brzee, former number one overall player in the country coming out of high school. He's working his way back from an ACL tear. He, he, didn't, he didn't even play in the game. Um, and it was just an unfair fight. You know, that that's – Clemson had some offensive linemen out. 
the ones that were in there, they were playing some young guys. So that added to it for sure. But just the speed of that group up front, the speed of the linebackers, you know, Clemson lost a couple of starters at linebacker and Baylin Spector and James Skowski. But that group has some very talented four-star, five-star prospects who have kind of been waiting and waiting for their turn. And I think the team speed overall on that side of the ball is going to be better. Um, you know, I think the one question mark is probably cornerback, but you know, I, I think they're really talented. They're just young and, and have a little bit of experience there too. So honestly, I wouldn't be surprised as crazy as it sounds if the defense is better, even with Brent Venables, obviously going to Oklahoma now. This is a lot to put on a team, but we've talked on this pod. Hey, Georgia had one of the best defenses ever last year. Great. Let's compare people to that. But maybe if there is a defense who has a chance to play at that level this season, maybe it's Clemson with the depth of talent, with the speed, with the way they're going to attack people. It's it's a high bar, man, but we know they got some dudes there. Yes, they do. And, and you know, I don't know that I've put them in that Georgia category yet. I need to probably see them play a, a game and kind of see what happens. But just talent-wise, Dabo said he thinks they have seven defensive linemen who will be drafted next year, wow. um, which is just an incre- insane – and look, he he exaggerates sometimes. Um, I'm the first to admit that he can kind of go overboard, but there really are, I think, seven guys potentially on that defensive line that have a chance to get drafted, and, and some of those would be first round picks. Okay, all right. Where's somewhere during this spring, Matt, where you thought maybe Clemson won't be as good in this certain area compared to 2021? I don't know that it won't be as good as last year. I think just the receivers. Um, didn't do as well as I was maybe hoping for. And a lot of that was injuries. Um, you know, Adam Randall's a guy that they were kind of counting on a freshman to come in and play right away. He tore his ACL, um, EJ Williams, he, he tore his ACL in the end of the spring and they're hoping he'll be get back sometime next season. They expect him to in 2022 to play some, but no, not real sure when that'll be. I think he's a guy that would have been on the two deep immediately. Um, you know, Bo Collins missed the spring game. And, and so, you know, we saw a little bit of him, but he's a guy that they need to get healthy who has a chance, I think, to have a really good year. But we just didn't see a lot of him this spring. EJ Williams, another guy that I think is going to be on the two deep that he missed um, the entire spring with a knee issue. So just, you know, I think it was a big spring for the receivers and for DJ to try to build that chemistry and, and Kate as well to try to get that group going in the right direction. Um, you know, they lost confidence in the passing game last year. The staff will admit that, that, that they weren't confident. The players weren't confident. I don't know that the coaches were confident at times. So this was a big spring to try to build up that confidence, but it was hard just with so many guys out that I don't know that uh, they necessarily did that the way they were hoping to. Talk with Matt Connolly of ClemsonSports.com in the On3 network. Again, great coverage there. If you're looking for stuff on the Tigers, make sure you read that. Matt, we'll wrap it up with this. Clemson, we know. Playoff regular, six straight playoffs in between not making it in year one, not making it last year. What you saw this spring, does Clemson look like a team that should be a playoff contender in the fall? We're not guaranteeing anybody a spot right now, but will they be in the mix? I think they can be. Um, and, and part of that, obviously, is schedule. I mean, the ACC, you know, isn't going to be great this year. I know NC State, I think, will be really, really good again. I think Miami is going to take a step forward. Florida State, I think, is moving in the right direction. Um but, you know, I still think it's not an overly difficult schedule. They do have to go to Notre Dame, but that's not an ACC game. So, you know, maybe they go 11-1 or so and, and are right there with a chance to make the playoff. Um, I think that's very possible. You know, like we mentioned, that defense that they have, the improvements that I think we'll see on offense. We didn't talk about the running backs at all. And those guys were banged up too. Their top two running backs were out all spring. But 
I think Will Shipley and Kobe Pace have a chance to to be really good and film off emerging as a number three guy there. So I think they'll be better offensively. I don't know that they're playoff caliber good offensively, but I think they they have a chance to be elite, elite, like one of the best defenses in the country. And I think that'll give them a chance to be right there uh, come December. So, yeah, I think they'll be back in the mix this year. And And I know, I'm sure, you know, maybe Clemson fans a little down after last year. Matt, you can tell them that here in the College Football Survivor Show, we've been doing our Mount Rushmores of different positions for teams that have been in the college football playoff in these eight years. Travis Etienne makes it at running back. And at linebacker, two Clemson Tigers, Ben Bolware and Isaiah Simmons, both made I like it. Mount Rushmore. So all is not lost for the Tigers. <laughs> I like it, yeah. I, I think Clemson would take those guys coming back right now, um, especially – you know, well, I, I shouldn't even say especially. I mean, Travis, Isaiah, Bowler, all those guys, you know, brought different different elite elements, um, whether it be leadership or, you know, ability to just break tackles and all that kind of stuff with Travis. And Isaiah just being able to do a little bit of everything with his versatility. So I like those picks. I think you all, you all nailed it with those three. And I think those are the only positions we've done. I have a feeling there'll be other Clemson guys on our <laughs> list. So I'll keep you posted. Uh, Matt Connolly, yes, the, best, the best Clemson coverage that you will find at clemsonsports.com. Matt, thanks so much for your time. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Joined by Russ Heltman of All Bearcats. It's an SI Now affiliate, right? Russ, is that right? Well, that's the network you're, uh, you're writing for there? Yes, all SI Now affiliate. It's part of the Fan Nation blog, blog network. So you are a contributor there at all Bearcats and where's the best way. Listen, people are very interested in Cincinnati football right now. I don't know if you're aware of this quite popular. Yes. Kind of a hot new thing. Where's the best way if people want to follow your coverage, what's the best thing they could do to make sure they keep track of it? Well, find me on Twitter at Russ Heltman 11, and then also follow us on, uh, on Twitter as well at all Bearcats. We, that's where all the content goes and, we try to keep everybody up to date, especially with the portal going on in basketball and, of course, all the spring practice going on with the football team as well, keeping uh, keeping the Bearcats fans who are very hungry right now, as you mentioned, Doug, uh, keeping them well-fed throughout uh, what is hopefully a very quick offseason before we get back into the fall and winter sports season. Yeah, Cincinnati is popping right now, man. Woo! All kinds of good stuff happening in Cincinnati. All right, let's talk about the Cincinnati spring game. Happened on Saturday. Desmond Ritter, I l- I like Desmond Ritter. I have like a whole thing at the combine. Desmond Ritter said he's a combination of Ryan Tannehill and Deshaun Watson. And I was like, that is a great way of evaluating yourself. I actually think Desmond Ritter's going to hit. I think he is a starting quarterback in the NFL. I trust him. I trust his brain. I trust his skill. I trust his leadership. I really like Desmond Ritter. So how do you replace a guy like that? What did this spring tell us, Russ, about the quarterback situation at Cincinnati for 2022? That I think the the future is stable and also bright at the same time and also murky. Three different things, three different layers to this quarterback competition. And, Doug, I don't know that we solved a whole lot in the spring so far. It's going to be a very heated competition in fall camp between uh, Ben Bryant, the Eastern Michigan transfer, who was, of course, fighting with Desmond Ritter for positioning at the top of the death chart when he was first here at UC a couple years ago. And then Evan Prater, the highest rated player ever recruited to the Bearcats in the 24-7 sports era. So 
a lot of different competing factors in terms of youth and experience, batting head, battling head to head. And it's kind of the, it's the great cliche quarterback battle, all the nice ingredients that we love to get in the juicy college quarterback battle that I think will probably go down to the wire up until we get into the first few days of September and they start traveling to Fayetteville for that battle against a team in Arkansas that many expect to be top 25, maybe top 20 to start the season. Prater's so skilled, right? Like what, what, what would lead them away from him? Just a belief in the older guy and maybe that you need one Prater needs one more year. I mean, again, this is a gigantic recruit for them. What do you have a guess? It is two kind of distinct dudes. Do you have a guess which way they might lean? I think it's honestly going to go to Prater. That is what I feel in my gut. It feels to me like this is Luke Fickle, not kind of prodding and and trying to make sure his quarterback has a chip on his shoulder or has a dangling carrot out there. But anytime you can bring back a player like Ben Bryant, who was going to feed the fire of competition, we all know Luke Fickle is all about competition. That's what he's built this program on. He hasn't handed players anything. He's he's brought a player like Sauce Gardner, a skinny kid in Detroit, all the way up to what could be a top five pick, and nobody would bat an eye at it this year in the uh, in the 2022 NFL draft. So the fact that he never leaves anything in, in out there in terms of cutting slack for players, I think is a big part of this. And to me, Evan Prater, what I saw from him on Saturday in terms of the skill he showed, the deep ball ability, and the overall flashes and ceiling that he could have in this offense, especially when you pair in the running ability that Desmond Ritter is going to bring to the NFL with that 4-5 speed. And I would argue Evan Prater, once he gets to Desmond Ritter's age, once he hits that senior season, will be just as good a runner, if not even more dynamic than him with his feet. So I think when you think about the ceiling and the fact that I know they aren't thinking about this, Doug, but I personally, and we'll get to this later on, I don't know how much of a chance they're going to have this season to make the college football playoff. But when you get to Evan Prater's junior year of eligibility, his senior year, final year of eligibility, and he's been elevating and been entrenched in this position from day one, starting against Arkansas, I think all of those little bits of experience are going to culminate in what could be another kind of slow build and ascendance into the college football playoff like they went through with the greatest class they're about to put into the NFL draft. Uh, with Kobe Bryant, Desmond Ritter, Maja Sanders, all those guys coming out, and Sauce Gardner, of course. Evan Prater, 6'5", number 174 overall recruit in the class of 2020. Again, this is a big-time dude uh, for anybody, but especially for a place like Cincinnati. All right, so let's think about – we know how good Cincinnati was last year. We know it was the best season of program history. Is there an area, though, where this spring showed they might actually improve this year? Somewhere they might even be a little bit better – compared to a year ago? Well, I think the tight end room this year, Doug, is going to be, if not better, but deeper and more solidified across the board and have a more wide range of, of weapons. This th- There's a lot of talent in there with Josh Wiley, Leonard Taylor coming back. You think about some of the young young players on this team and guys like Shaman Mater, who was fantastic in the spring game, called, called multiple touchdowns, including a deep ball from Evan Prater. Um, him showing off that uh, deep touch with the uh, long-range passing and a nice crossing route, went about 15 yards deep in the end zone in one of the red zone drills that he caught from Ben Bryant in the corner of the end zone. 6'5", 260, he's an ascending player. You got Josh Wiley there. You have Leonard Taylor. Those are guys are going to be the entrenched senior veteran starters. And Coach uh, Gino Goduli said after the uh, spring game and made a point to uh, emphasize it that there is going to be more 12 personnel. And I think this could be 
kind of just right up Luke Fickle's alley, a smash mouth type of team that really installs their will, not only on defense, but on offense, even more so than we saw last year. And that was a pretty run heavy team. But this one, I think, will be really run heavy, really play action based and really focus on those tight ends with 12 personnel and focusing on that room. Tight ends make the world go round, man. I mean, <laughs> you get do. in there, you run the ball, and then you get mismatches. And you, it, you play action out of 12 personnel, deep shots out of 12 personnel, when you suck defenses up, man, that's how that's how you get after people. So Josh Wiley, I mean, that guy, that, that guy could have gone to the NFL, right? I mean, Wiley is like a, a dude. Uh, he could have. And I think the only reason he didn't go was he was kind of st- stuck in that same range where a lot of these tight ends are sitting right now in the top – five and at their position where they're projected to go in the in between the late third and uh, middle of the fifth round so he thought I'll wait another year keep boosting my stock and be able to come out as hopefully the best tight end and or one of the best tight ends uh, in the 2023 draft but like you said you get those mismatches and especially the way the game's being played today and especially a lot of defenses in the AAC where you have some of those smaller linebackers those smaller safeties because of the way teams spread out so much now you can get even more punishment on those mismatches in the middle of the field with some of those bigger players and and Mater, keep that name in the in the back of your head for for folks listening to this. He is a really really athletic talent, one of the top thirty athletes coming out of his class in twenty twenty, and uh, he could be one of those molded players in that uh, Brady Collins Brady Collins strength room that really pops this season. Interesting. So uh, this is tough to ask because we know how talented was Cincinnati was last year. What was eight guys to the combine? Nine. I mean, they sent as many guys to the combine as almost anybody in the country outside of Alabama. They sent more guys to the combine than Ohio State did. Clearly, they are losing some stuff. Where are they not going to be as good as a year ago? Well, I would I would probably have to say the 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 I would go either cornerback room or quarter quarterback room. Both the backs there, and obviously the quarterback room goes without saying. You're losing the greatest player in program history, in Desmond Ritter. I don't think I'm going out on a limb and saying that. The most decorated, the greatest winner this team has ever seen. And you got to replace him with a guy who, sure, he was e- with either a guy who, sure, was solid for Eastern Michigan last year. But I- I've run run through all the all, all, all those teams that, that Ben Bryant was playing. And the Mid-American Conference was by far the worst conference in the entire country last season. And then an unknown in Evan Prater, who, like you said, is very highly regarded in terms of recruiting circles, but has not yet proven it in terms of a full sample size. So that's one place where they're definitely going to fall off. But I would say cornerback for sure is the number one place where you fall off. They were the only team in the country last year to have two All-Americans on uh, on their starting roster on either side of that defense on the outside. So anytime you lose a play, lose players of the caliber of Sauce Gardner, who's going to be, I think, has a good chance of eclipsing Greg Cook or being right there at number five with Greg Cook as the highest drafted player in the history of the Bearcats program and Kobe Bryant, who was projected, I think it was an ESPN mock draft today, had him going in the top 110 picks. So a top three, top four round type of player. It's going to be very difficult to replace those guys, but they do have Arquan Bush, the senior leader who was a stymieing force in the slot last year. He'll be able to play a kind of Swiss army knife role. That's what he told me he's ready to do after the uh, spring game when I talked to him for a few minutes. And then Todd Bumpus, he was a very, very prominent part of the spring game and has uh, been digressed to me and a lot of the other reporters that he was a very big uh, shadow of Kobe Bryant last year. And he's a guy that's going to hopefully uh, follow in his footsteps. And we'll see what happens with a player like JQ Hardaway, guys like Sammy Anderson, some of those younger players and Hardaway especially comes in part of the 2022 class, their second highest rated player in the class, which was the highest rated class in program history. And he's a guy who's already putting on weight and already starting to sharpen his skills and 
Obviously, it's very difficult, especially on this type of team that likes to reward veterans and build through years in the program to get some meaningful playing time as a freshman. But I do think we'll see some kind of snaps here or there for J.Q. Hardaway this year, and he'll play some kind of role. So the Bearcats, one of the great stories in college football history last year, making the playoff the way they did, back-to-back unbelievable regular seasons, earned that playoff spot 100%. They're here, right? They're not going anywhere. Like Luke Fickle has built a program. Cincinnati is going to head to the Big 12. This program is – this is not a flash in the pan um, by any stretch of the imagination. But it's hard to replicate what they just did. Do you think they can hang around in the playoff mix? Because the thing is for Cincinnati, being in the playoff mix means going undefeated again probably. You lose – two or three games, and you're just not going to be in that conversation. What what kind of year are you thinking they might have this fall? I see them thoroughly contending for a third straight American Athletic Conference championship, and I could see them possibly going undefeated. It all hinges in my eyes on that game in Arkansas on September 3rd, one of the most intriguing games in week one against the Razorbacks and, and Coach Pittman, who has built a really, really strong foundation in that program over the first few years down south. So if they're able to get past Arkansas, I could see them running the table. I really can. I don't think the talent has fallen off as much as people would expect when you graduate such a decorated class as they just graduated. But I, I think you and I both know, Doug, it's going to be very, very difficult, especially if they're not in the top 15 at least. And you probably have to be in the top 10 if you're a team like Cincinnati in those preseason uh, AP and coaches poll rankings to to really have a shot, even if you do go undefeated, because the AAC did not do them any favors by scheduling no games against Houston or Memphis on the slate. And uh, it's just going to be very difficult when you aren't playing not only the best of the best in your conference, but you also have games against Kennesaw State, against Miami on your uh, non-conference roster. And in all likelihood, you're going to need an Indiana to win nine or ten games and a team like Miami to go and win the Mid-American Conference and win 10, 11 games and be really good in their own right to uh, to get that extra help that they ultimately got last year and they ultimately earned and deserved that college football playoff spot and ran into the buzzsaw that is Alabama, but I think put up a decent fight compared to what we would have seen from anybody else. Oh, man, I, Desmond Ritter, if he played a little better in that game, they could have given Bama a game. He had some guys. It right. just wasn't his best. I mean, he's the greatest pro player in program history. I think he's going to be a good starting quarterback in the NFL. That wasn't his best game. If he plays lights out, which is like, oh, why didn't you play lights out against Alabama? It's like, it's Nick Saban. <laughs> what are you talking about? But if he's lights out, they have a chance to really hang there, I think, for a while. Because from a talent standpoint, again, Alec Pierce and Jerome Ford and Sauce Gardner and MyJ Sanders and Kobe Bryant and Desmond Ritter, these are real dudes everywhere. There are dudes everywhere on that team. And, the, and again, it's a new set of dudes. But how do you think, and I'll let you go after this, Russ, when they go to the Big 12, how's that going to go, do you think? Do you think they will be able to compete consistently at the top of the Big 12? Because then when you get to a power conference like that, yes, we know the Big 12 lost Oklahoma and Texas, but Baylor's good. Oklahoma State's good. They don't have to be trying to prove themselves every week, right? The competition goes up, but I think that's good for Cincinnati. What's life in the Big 12 going to be like for them? I think it should be very lucrative. When you look at the future recruiting rankings right now, and especially looking at 2023, and we don't have this definitively locked in right now, but all signs are pointing to the Bearcats and these other three teams to joining the Big 12 next year and having a couple years, it would seem, with them having um, 14 teams 
with Oklahoma and Texas still waiting out the SEC plan. We'll see how that all shakes out if they actually do get two years. But regardless, if they have to spend the two years with Texas and Oklahoma in there, then they would be sitting right now fourth in the 2023 recruiting rankings. They've done a great job in the state of Ohio so far of retaining some nice hometown talent in uh, Evan Tangestall and Trevor Carter, the four-star linebacker, one of the highest-rated recruits once again in program history who who, uh, signed uh, back a few months ago. So I think they're keeping pace well, and we'll see how well they can continue to add to this class. And obviously the 2024 class, those are the two most important ones as you enter the uh, the upcoming uh, entry into the Big 12. But I, to answer your question, Doug, I don't think there's going to be much of a slip up. And in terms of – and now if we're talking slip up, are they going to go from winning undefeated 12 games a year, 13 games a year, to keeping that pace in the Big 12 immediately? No, I don't think that's going to happen. But nine, ten wins a year to start – and then you find that next great quarterback or you put together three, four top 15, top 10 recruiting classes after you graduated four or five NFL draft classes with multiple NFL draft picks and you build up that foundation as well, then, of course, I think they can get right back to national uh, national contender status. And who knows, they could be right there and keep shocking people uh, once we get into that Big 12 status and what could be 2023 or looking like at the latest 2024. Tell Luke Fickle we don't expect Cincinnati to go undefeated every year. That's not that's not the new standard. He does, but we don't. We don't. We don't have to have those high expectations. He we know he has them though, Doug. Yeah, I mean he's a he's a man. He's a person. He's allowed to live his life. Perfection. You can't expect perfection every year. I live with that burden. People always expect me to be perfect. It's hard. So tell Luke it's okay if they lose a game or two. He's Russ Heltman. R U S S H E L T M A N eleven. Yes. On Twitter, that's where you are, right? And then all Bearcats on Twitter. That means like everything you want to read and know about Cincinnati sports, you get from all Bearcats. That's the Twitter handle. You'll find them there. You'll find Russ's coverage, the coverage from the rest of the site. Russ, it was great to have you on the College Football Survivor Show, and you can now be our official Cincinnati correspondent. If, if Fickle has these guys back in the playoff mix, we'll have you back on soon, man. Thanks for your time. Love doing it, Doug, and would love to be back. Hopefully we'll be uh, covering more playoff football in the uh, very near future. So thanks to Russ Heltman for that Cincinnati expertise. Thanks to Matt Connolly for the Clemson expertise. Thanks to Aaron McMahon talking Michigan in a really smart way. And then, of course, leading off the show with Travis Brown, all about Texas A&M. Shahan, I like spring football. We're going to keep doing this. we got a bunch of games this coming Saturday. Then another bunch of games on uh, Saturday, April 23rd. So we're going to do more wraps the next two weeks of what happened there. This is a window. It's like the first window. And and having covered spring football for, you know, a decade plus, there are guys like, okay, I didn't know that guy was going to be part of this, but he is. That's the kind of thing that really helps. So you don't know the finished product, but I think you start to get a handle on teams in March and April. Yeah, no question. I mean, I, I think that this is just such a time when you – learn the new names like you mentioned because this is one of the things that sets college football apart is that it is a three to four year cycle you you know every year you basically have to relearn an entire new sport and and this is kind of that moment you know you learn the new quarterbacks you learn the new defensive linemen you learn all this sort of stuff um and, and so even though we won't know who's going to start at all these positions for example until the fall I do think that this is one of the most valuable glimpses that we get and the other thing too that I'll mention is that uh, it also is like the only time in college football that we get any glimpse of the future uh even if it's not this upcoming season 
season, even if it's not guys who are going to contribute in 2022, seeing a freshman look really good means that we could see them in 2023, right? Or 2024 and, and just get a little bit of a glimpse of that and have some understanding. So yeah, I agree. Spring football is sort of a, a great opportunity for reporters to kind of get that sort of perspective. And, and so yes, it, it can drag on a little bit and it makes you hungry for the fall, but, uh, but I still love it. Some teams we hope to check in on next week because they are playing this Saturday the 16th, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. I can guarantee we'll check in on them because I'll be at Ohio State spring game. Miami, I'm very interested in. Maybe Arkansas. And then a bunch of really interesting ones on the 23rd. So College Football Survivor Show, the place to kind of keep you updated on what's happening with the major teams in college football through the spring. And again, the bonus app this week is coming as the second show of the week. Normally it's the first, but we're going to keep doing Mount Rushmore. Wide receivers, the four best wide receivers in college football playoff history. That's for Apple Podcast subscribers. It's $2.99 a month. We think it's worth it. It's fun. It's a u- unique conversation. You probably aren't going to find a lot of other places. We've done linebackers. We've done running backs. Come join us there. It's at Apple Podcasts, $2.99 a month. You get four episodes. It's less than a dollar an episode. We hope to see you guys there, but we'll definitely see you back next week on this show, which is free everywhere you can subscribe to podcasts. For now, thanks to all our guests. Read Shahan Jaharaja at CBS Sports. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.